God, open our eyes to how you are coming among us and how your kingdom is indeed at hand. Amen. What is the kingdom of God? Jesus talks about it today. I'd like to show some images that I came across on Google. I don't, I'd encourage you to think of your own vision of what the kingdom of God is. But as I like to do, I went to Google, and whoever's in charge of Google threw up several different kinds of images. Um, and I just wanted to run through a few of those. The kingdom of God is. Now looking at those images, and there were many, 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 many more like them. The common images of the kingdom is bigness, huge, very often beyond the earth. And even when it's images of the earth, it's something of great and huge grandeur. My guess is that when most folks are asked to talk about the kingdom of God, the first thought that comes to mind is heaven. The kingdom of God. Just to use the words within itself, might I say that the kingdom of God is whatever realm is that God is king, that God rules. And might that be more than just in heaven? Now, of course, we say every week in our prayers, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And in the two parables that we just read, where Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, Jesus moves away from thinking about God's kingdom as something far away, but really centers God's kingdom in a very ordinary and common way because the kingdom of God is like seeds. When Jesus would talk about things like the kingdom of God, and sometimes he said the kingdom of heaven, he most always talked about them through parables. In parables, Jesus would take things that are common, things that we would know about, that the kingdom is like a, a treasure in a field, or a pearl of great price, or, or yeast that's put into, into bread, or, or a net that is cast out into the sea. Jesus would take these familiar items, these objects, images, and then he would use them to challenge us, to make us think differently. Always more than just some simple meaning with some simple instruction about how to do about it, how to go about it. Jesus today uses parables involving seeds. Now this first parable is only in Mark's gospel and really it's, it's, it's not very well known. It's much less known than the parable of the mustard seed for sure. It's very straightforward, but I want to suggest that it confronts us in some ways. It's pretty obvious, the story. Somebody has scattered seeds. The seeds sprout and they grow. And then it grows into a plant that is then harvested. I mean, anybody that knows anything about farming, and I know nothing, and I even know that, that's what happens with seeds. 
Now sometimes folks want to take these parables like this one and they want to poke around and find some huge meaning in it. Like this represents that. Like for instance, um, God could be the one who sows the seed and then later on when the, you know, and people are the ones that hear about the seed and accept the seed and then, and then the crop comes and, and then when the, har the harvest is reaped, well that kind of means some people are going to go to heaven and some of course are going to go to hell. And so the moral of the story becomes, well, you Christians, you need to go out and, and make sure people don't go to hell. Now I want to suggest that if all Jesus wanted to do was to say to go out and, and share the good news, he would have shed to, to, to go out and, and, and share the good news. I think he gives us more than simple instructions in this parable. And frankly, I don't think it has anything to do with the sky or a city up in heaven and such as that. How I read the parable is just by, by reading the parable. There's no need to say that this stands for that. Somebody scattered seed on the ground. Then it says this person, after scattering the seed on the ground, would sleep and rise night and day. Now maybe that means just, hey, that's what we all do. We sleep and rise night and day. Maybe it's some sense of paying attention to these seeds. Maybe doing some things involving the seeds. Maybe watering the seeds. Maybe pulling the weeds out. Maybe fertilizing it somehow, whatever fertilizer they might use. Well, then the, speed, the seed sprouts and it grows. That's what seeds do when they're planted well. And then notice what Jesus says next. It says that the, the, the seed planter does not know how that happens. He doesn't know how the seed sprouts and grows. I mean, we might assume that the planter's done some things, but as far as making the, the plant grow, he didn't do it. Or she But the seed grows on its own. He doesn't know how that happens because he's not in control. And then it, on, it continues on. It says the earth produces of itself. In other words, there's some piece of the scattering that the seed person might do. But it's not him that makes it grow. The earth does that of itself. And finally, the grain is ripe and it's harvested. I think that's pretty straightforward. I think Jesus might want to remind us that the growth of the kingdom is kind of like the growth of a plant. A very ordinary thing, but also something that ultimately is beyond our control. It's God's kingdom. It's not our kingdom. And therefore we're going to not know everything that makes the kingdom do what the kingdom might do. It's up to God. And unfortunately, we Christians are very often the very worst at learning that lesson. Because so often we Christians, especially Bible-waving Christians who have the big Bibles that shake when they move, they wave it, want to profess such certainty about how God is doing what God is supposed to do. And not only do we claim such certainty, we also want to act in ways that I think runs counter to life in the kingdom. Here's what I think I mean. I think we do have a role 
and participating in God's kingdom in the right here and now of life, just as that person scattered the seed and did what he could do, we too are called to take on our role in doing what God is doing. And the role we take on is the one that has been shown us fully in the life of Jesus. It involves doing things like showing compassion to others, showing mercy for those who need mercy, practicing peace when all around is violence and hate, demanding justice for those who have been treated unjustly. Things such as these are our role in God's kingdom. But instead, very often we Christians, we promote the violence and the hate. We turn our backs on those who are in need of mercy and grace. And we choose to just ignore those who need to be treated justly. All the while we clamor that we know what God's kingdom is all about. It's a simple parable that challenges how we might view God's kingdom. And then on to the more familiar parable, this one of the mustard seed. This one often gets reduced to the idea that, that God will take something very small and then make it very big. Now, I don't know how that might get interpreted. Like, God might take a little bitty kid and then make this kid to grow up to be this huge, successful something. Or God may take this small group of people and then make them into this huge church. Some sort of success. Well, I want to throw a wrench in that, of course. First, it's not just any seed that's sowed. It's a mustard seed. And frankly, a mustard seed had very little worth. Really, the plant itself had no worth at all. See, a mustard plant was very ordinary. It grew everywhere. No one would actually ever bother to plant a mustard seed because it would be like planting dandelion seeds. Some suggest that Jesus was just being humorous by saying that someone actually would plant a mustard seed. And not only would it be pointless to plant mustard seeds, such seeds and such plants are hard to control. You wouldn't want them in your garden because they would want to take over the garden. They're hard to cultivate. So really, you would not want one. But they're all around because they grow everywhere. Now, some mustard seeds, they do have health benefits, I read, and therefore they do have an important use, even though some interpreters want to say that the mustard plant is a noxious weed that's going to do damage to whatever you're trying to do. My point? Jesus speaks of a kingdom not as a seed, but a mustard seed. It's a seed that's very ordinary and not something that you would actually want to plant, but it's something that is all around anyway. It's something that we might even want to ignore or get rid of 
but it's something that's coming anyway. And that coming is a kingdom that's coming among us. And something else about this parable, something else that I think may have made some people laugh when they heard it. And it's the part where Jesus talks about the mustard seed growing into the greatest of all shrubs. It's as if this mustard plant would grow into something that people would point at and gawk at and go, wow, that is beautiful. No, like I kind of said, it's just an ordinary plant. It would be everywhere. You wouldn't want to stop and take pictures of it if you were driving down the street. Now, if Jesus had wanted to use an image like that, there was one, especially an image out of Scripture, one that he could really use, and I looked it up. It's used 75 times in the Old Testament, and it's the great cedars of Lebanon. The great cedars of Lebanon was known as a symbol of strength and beauty. Its wood was very aromatic and durable. King David even used some of the great cedars of Lebanon to build his, his palace. Now, that would have been an image that Jesus should have used if he wanted to talk about the great and big and majestic. Instead, he tells a parable about a shrub Maybe, maybe Jesus is trying to point us away from big and success and wow to the very ordinary of life. And that's how God is coming. Not up in heaven. Not even in those places that we would call success because they're big and popular. But in this ordinary plant. You see, even in this ordinary plant, we read that birds have a place to come for shelter and rest because the kingdom is always a place of welcome and rest, perhaps especially in the ordinary of life. So what might these parables try to say about the kingdom of God? I think it's pointing us away from focusing so much on heaven and pointing us into the right now of life because that is God's kingdom. It's a kingdom that we're not in control of, but that we do play our part because we are to be people who participate in the ways of the kingdom. But how it comes apart, how it comes alive, that's not up to us. Sometimes it might totally surprise us, even in the ordinary. I'd like to share a couple instances of how I think I caught a glimpse of something about that this week. I'm going to start with Tuesday and then go back to Monday. Tuesday, Tuesday morning, I went out to see our friend Jim Locker. Jim is now at um, the Masonic home in Shelbyville for good. Um, I went out there, and, and, and when I got there... Jim was sitting out in the hall in his wheelchair. He pretty much has to stay in his wheelchair now. But he was out in the hall, and when I got there, we went into his room so we could talk. And it seemed like every 30 seconds, somebody was walking by, and Jim would throw a hand up at. And then he, for a lot of them, he would have a comment on this person, because he knows everybody out there now. 
And he also showed me the church bulletin that we're going to be having church soon. And Jim, and I think I said this last week, is one of the official prayers now. See, Jim is an elder of Highland Christian Church. And Jim is also using that leadership at the Masonic home. And of course, Jim's already got to be buddies with the chaplain out there. It made me a little jealous because me and him are tight. So I'm just going to assume he and I will still be tight. In that ordinary place, that everyday place, some, a place that some people would want to avoid, Jim is doing what Jim does to participate in what God is doing out there. Now I want to back up to Monday. On Monday, I heard some people tell some stories about their lives. I heard one lady talk about living in Inez, Kentucky, where the drinking water is so polluted that people can't drink it. I heard from another woman from Louisville who lives in a neighborhood called Rubbertown, which I had never heard of, but I have heard of it since. Rubbertown is a neighborhood in Louisville that's filled with industrial manufacturing plants. It's near a toxic, toxic landfill site. And the pollution from these places have been a long-time health concern for the largely poor inhabitants of that neighborhood. I heard from a man from Harlan, Kentucky, who told us about being a coal miner for many years, and like so many of his coal miner friends, he has black lung now. He also talked about how a federal trust fund for black, young, black lung coal miners is being slashed. And he'd come to Frankfurt hoping to get to talk to the governor about this. This time of sharing was organized by a group called the Poor People's Campaign. It's a campaign that initially was set to launch in the summer of 1968 by Martin Luther King, but when Martin Luther King was killed in April of that year, much of the momentum and the desire to do it kind of faded away. Over the last couple of years, though, especially with the leadership of a disciple minister, William Barber, in North Carolina, he began meetings, Moral Mondays meetings, and eventually that became what is now known the resurgence of the Poor People's Campaign. On several Mondays, beginning the Monday after Mother's Day, the campaign has hosted rallies at 30-some state capitals including here in Frankfurt. The campaign's theme is a national call for moral revival. Now some Christians see the moral narrative in our culture is about prayer in school, in opposition to same-sex marriage and gun rights. The Poor People Campaign commits itself to standing with and for those most affected by systemic racism and poverty and environmental ruin. Now you may have heard about this past Monday's rally, at least part of it. I had left before the part that made the news got to be on there. I had to go pick up Georgia from school. Perhaps you heard that this group was not allowed into the Capitol as a group. There was concern that they would camp out 
in the rotunda. Although, of course, other groups have done that, including in January, there was a very conservative Christian group that had several days and nights of reading through the Bible, which I agree with. I've read through the Bible. But they were allowed to do that in the Capitol Rotunda for several days. But this group was not. Now, some of you may think I'm full of it, and granted, I, I can very much be that way. And some of you might say I'm just playing politics, which I would strongly disagree with you on that. But I've got to say that one way for me to participate in what God is wanting to bring about in God's kingdom is standing up with these very people that others want to lock out and get rid of and ignore. For me that day, it was in listening to the stories of those who need compassion and mercy and grace. For some of us on Tuesday, hopefully for some of us on Tuesday, it'll be being with a group of women in a recovery facility whom most of our society would want to write off as a bunch of losers. How might the kingdom of God be calling you? Where is compassion and mercy needed? Where is the need to make people feel welcome? Don't look up in the sky and say, God will do it. We are people who pray every week for the kingdom to come. Well, let's take our prayer and put legs to our prayer. What can you do? What can you do? Do what you can do. And don't worry about the results because God's in charge of that anyway. I'm going to be going away for a few weeks. Well, not really going away. I'll won't be here on Sunday mornings. And some of the weeks, there's going to be some folks sharing what I would say is how they are helping participate in what God is doing. Some of our church people, there'll be a couple others that come and they'll be sharing that too. But that's not just them. That call is for all of us. What about you? How are you helping the kingdom of God come into being? Think on that. And when I come back in a month, I expect lots and lots of answers. Thanks be to God for grace and mercy and love. Amen. Now let us stand and sing our hymn.